Let's stand together and we're going to read. This is going to be three slides, actually, a decently lengthy passage here um, that I'll be talking about this morning. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand these words today and how it relates to our lives and how, Lord, we might learn not to go the way of the Pharisees, but to truly understand and not reject your purpose for our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My family used to get frustrated with me around Christmas time, Father's Day, and my birthday because When they came to me with that inevitable question, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Father's Day? What do you want? Uh, I I couldn't tell them. Uh, The way I viewed it, I had everything I wanted. And if I wanted something, I would buy it within reason. So if, if I saw something at Home Depot, I would buy it. And so therefore didn't need or want anything. It got to where uh, when the holidays would get closer, I would find myself wandering up and down the aisles of Home Depot, making mental notes of this or that, wanting to buy them, but thinking, I better not buy that so I could actually answer their question, what do you want? And so, but you know, when you ask a child, when you you ask any child, what do you want? I mean, that's quite a different story. Ask any child what, what he or she wants and get ready for a list. I was talking to one of my grandchildren, uh, one of my uh, granddaughters, a couple of days ago, I think it was the day after her birthday, and we had sent, Lori had sent her a card with a, a check from us, and uh, we, and she, I asked her, I said, what are you going to do, what are you going to buy with it, what are you going to do with the money, and no hesitation whatsoever, she knew exactly what she wanted, she knew, children have one-track minds, they, they know what they want, well, at least they they think they know what they want. You, you know, you get this from children. Oh, if you just, if you just get me this, uh, Daddy, I'll be happy for the rest of my life, I promise. Heard that before? And what happens? They open the present. Five minutes later, it's laying on the floor, and they're playing with the cardboard wrapping paper tubes, you know. Now, I've been guilty of that myself, not playing with cardboard wrapping paper tubes, although they are kind of cool and sword fight with and stuff like that, but I've been guilty of eagerly wanting something, desperately wanting something, and buying it, and within days, you know, it's already lost its luster, and you think, okay, now what's the next new thing that I can buy or want? So here's a question for you. The title of my message this morning is, What Do You Want? So here's a question for you. If God were to come sit down next to you right now and ask you that question, what do you want? Would you have an answer for that? How would you answer God if he asked you at this moment, what do you want? You know, he did that a few times in the Bible. 
But how would you answer it? I want you to think about that for a moment. But let me ask you another question. If you were to die today, would you feel like you've accomplished the purpose for which you were born? Here's a verse for you that I came across many years ago. I love this verse. It's from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. I'm going to read that first part again. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. Wouldn't that be great to know that before you, before you died that you knew that you had accomplished the purpose for which you were made? And do you even know what your purpose is? What would you say is the purpose of your life, for your life? Do you know what God would say about that? How would God answer that question? If you are to ask him, God, what's the purpose for my life? What would God say? Well, here's a problem, and I think you'll understand this if you, know, if you understand what I mean by this word. The, there's an unexpected enemy of a life of real, living a life of real purpose. And the unexpected enemy is something called religion. And I'll, let me explain that, because some of you may say, what do you mean, religion? Aren't we supposed to be religious? It depends on how you define that, because generally, I think a religious spirit can actually cause us to miss our purpose in God. <clears throat> religious spirit would be something like this. It would, one, it would be a, a spirit that would make us try to do our very best to be the best Christian that we can possibly be and to live a good life and end up spending our lives being nice and safe and, and faithful, but not really affecting our world. In other words, a religious spirit is one that just says, I just want to be an average Christian, somebody that you know, goes to church and does all the Christian things we're supposed to do. But there's sort of, a, isn't that sort of coasting? I mean, isn't that sort of like what the average Christian does is just, I just want to get through this life so I can get to that life, you know? Without really affecting our world and really living out our purpose by which to which we were called by God. I want to share this parable with you that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 7, 31 and 32. He said, to what shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We, we sang a dirge and you did not weep. Let me explain to you what Jesus is talking about here. What's going on? We've all observed children playing. We, we did it ourselves as we were growing up. Let's, let's pretend. Let's pretend like, a, let's, let's play like, you know, this. And so one group wants to play a fun game. Another group wants to play a serious game. And we can just hear them say, hey, let's play a wedding game and let's all dance. And the others say, no, let's play a funeral game and let's all pretend to be sad. And each wants their own way. This one group wants to do it this way, and another group wants to do another thing. And sometimes they end up not playing at all. They end up fighting. They start acting childish. If you don't do what I want, I won't do what you want. If you don't play my game, I won't play your game. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the Pharisees because he had said, you've missed the purpose of God for your life. Now let me tell you a parable about this. So I want you to get this. I want you to make this connection here. 
me tell you what he's saying about how they missed it. Because there's an underlying issue that Jesus is implying here that often we don't even know what we want. We don't know what we want sometimes. Or for that matter, we don't know what God wants. It's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you about thy kingdom come. Because what does that mean? What are we praying for? What does God want? And if you're a good Christian, when I asked that very first question, when I told you to think about for a moment, if God were to sit next to you and ask you, what do you want? If you're a good Christian, you would have answered that initial question religiously. Well, what do you want? Well, of course I want what God wants, right? Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. And it's easier to say what, you know, that I want what God wants, and we often sing those kinds of songs. You know, available. That's a song talking about God, whatever you want. Here I am, I'm available. It's easy to sing those songs and to say those kinds of things, but do we really want what God wants? The context makes it clear. Look at this verse uh, Stephen will put up on the screen, Luke 7, verse 30. This is what the whole, this whole thing started with this verse. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. See, the Pharisees rejected the purpose of God for themselves. So Jesus addresses this issue through this parable about children not wanting to play what they consider to be some lame game. John's John's baptism is some kind of lame game that he's playing, and we don't want to play that game. So he uses this parable as kind of a gotcha to the Pharisees. Here's his explanation. When after he told the parable about the children, this is what he said in Luke chapter 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. When John came along, the Pharisees thought they, 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 thought they knew what they wanted, and, and they, they thought it's certainly not John. We don't want John. We don't know what we want, but we know we don't want him. I, I was thinking about this this morning because... You know, when Lori and I used to live in Wyoming, we, uh, I used to go with her shopping sometimes, and, uh, and I would be the one that would be sitting out the dre- outside the dressing room, and she'd come and try on clothes for me, and, and uh, she'd ask me, what, you know, what do, what, do you, what do you want? I don't know what I want, but I know I don't want that. Don't, I don't, that doesn't, go, go try another one. And sometimes that happens. We can't define what we want, but we know we don't want that. That we don't know what you know. Going out to eat, where do you want to go? Anywhere, anywhere you want to go. She, they name something. No, 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 I don't want to. I don't want that. So it's not really anywhere you want to go. So they didn't know what they wanted, but they knew we don't want John. See, the Pharisees they were strict, but John to them was over the top. They listened to John and they thought, man, he's too puritanical. It, it, to me, this is crazy. Pharisees calling somebody too strict or too inhibited. It's like, it's like they're saying he's a Pharisee, but he's a Pharisee on steroids, you know. He's not playing our game. He doesn't look like us, and he doesn't act like us. He's not wearing the right clothes. Remember how the Bible described John? He's not wearing the right clothes. He's not acting the right way. He goes off by himself and spends way too much in the wilderness, way much too much time in the wilderness by himself. And he comes back, he's got a locust leg hanging out of his mouth. 
He fasts way too often. So here's what they're saying. We want this, but John gives us that, and we don't want that. Now, listen, of course, John was not playing a game. John was being John. John was being who John was supposed to be. John was living out his purpose for which he was called. God said, I'm going to send you a messenger, and that messenger was John. And John came and did what he was supposed to be doing. But the Pharisees couldn't handle that. Can't handle John. So then Jesus comes along. And the next verse says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, John is too serious. Jesus is not serious enough. John is too strict. Jesus is not strict enough. John is antisocial. Jesus is too social. Jesus seems to be unbridled and fun-loving. In other words, he's not playing our game either. Here's the point Jesus was trying to make. They would have rejected anyone, anyone that didn't look like them. They wanted something, but they really didn't know what they wanted. The Pharisees didn't know what they wanted, but whatever they thought they wanted, one thing was for sure, they didn't want John and they didn't want Jesus. So again, if God were to ask you this morning, what do you want, could you answer that? Now, some people might be smart alecky and say, you know, a billion dollars, a fancy house and a boat and, you know, an athletic body and my youth restored and all those kinds of things. But let's get serious for a moment. What do you want? And if that stumps you, often religious people like the Pharisees have a hard time with that kind of question. I'm going to say something important here, and I'm probably going to say it twice because this is very important. Because it applies to me, it applies to you. They don't know what they want but they also don't want what they know. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we don't know what we want. We also, know, we also don't want what we know. We don't want what is here, what is right in front of us. I don't know what I want, but also don't want what I know. So give me something else. I don't know what I want, but I no, I don't want that. And that's what Jesus is saying. A lot of people just say, oh, we just want God. I have no doubt that the Pharisees wanted God. I think they wanted God. I think they were going about it in the wrong way. I think, again, they, they thought it was all about the 600 and some odd laws that they had put together and to follow and all the paraphernalia that they wore to say, look at me, I'm religious and righteous and all those kinds of things i have no doubt in their own way they were trying to get god so jesus is saying you say you want god but your words and your actions say you don't you say you want the messiah to come but guess what he's right here standing in front of you we know we don't know what we want but we know we don't want that we don't we don't want what we know and they knew jesus and they said we don't want what want what we don't want what we know and so they look for reasons to reject him 
And oftentimes we make excuses because it doesn't, the thing doesn't come packaged the way we want. Can you imagine throwing away a gift because it didn't come in the package that you expected? It wasn't wrapped just right. That'd be very childish. Ask any child again, what do you want? I remember when uh, Sarah was growing up, she went through these phases. And so at one point I stopped her and I said, Sarah, I said, so let me, t- let me get this right. Because over a period of time, this is what she said. And, and I said, so let me get this right. You want to be a ballerina missionary nurse who happens to write romance novels while raising a family. Is that what you're trying to tell me? You know, we've all gone through those kinds of things. I've wanted to be all kinds of things. And so, so we want, we want, we want, and we, and we say, I just want to be used by God. I want, I want God and I want to be used by God. But then we find Christians who want to de- then define or determine how that's going to play out. I remember when I was called, when I felt the call of God on my life as a teenager, I felt the call of God to the ministry, to some sort of ministry. I felt that. Mid to late teens. And I remember when I first felt that call that I wanted to serve God in some kind of ministry, but I, but I had this conversation with God. I remember, I remember this very clearly. I could envision certain things that I would be doing in ministry, and I envisioned a lot of things I did not want to do in ministry. So I had this conversation with God. God, I'll do this or this or this but I don't want to do that. I know I want, I don't know, I think I want this, this, and this, but I know I don't want that. And it's like we want to give, we want God to give us a sheet of paper with a list of all the possibilities for ministry. We look it over, we scratch a few things out, we sign it, and we hand it back to God. Instead, this is the way it works. God hands us a blank sheet of paper, we sign our name to it, and then he fills it in for us, right? That's the way it works. If you're going to follow God, if he's going to be your Lord, then that's the way it works. Let God fill in the blank spaces. We had a guy in our church in, in Wyoming, and Lori and I still to this day joke about him. We love we the man. He was very, very good to us, a uh, good friend. But he had, he had some quirks, as we all do. But uh, I remember that there was this, this mantra he was constantly saying, ah, I just want to be used by God. I want just any, God anything. He was constantly saying that around us and around me, and, and he would just come and say, just, just tell me what to do. I need, I need direction from God. I need to know what to do. So one, one day we, we had a need in the church, and I said, uh, well, you know, Ed, you can, you can do this. Oh, no, no, not that. Not that. I'll do anything for you, God but not that and it was something simple anybody could have done it anybody could have done it didn't take any skills and so that's that's the way we are a lot of times i want to be used by god but we want to again determine how that all plays out we want to make up the rules and change them along the way as it suits us and you know games are not played that way can you imagine playing a game with somebody in the middle of it say okay i'm going to change the rules to benefit me somehow and games are not played that way. And life is not played that way. The rules wouldn't even be changed for the Son of God. Jesus, 
Jesus' want was to fulfill the purpose of God for his life. The book of Hebrews, quoting the Psalms, says this about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. It says, uh, the context of this is, it says, when he came into the world, he said, I have come to do your will, O God. And the author of Hebrews is quoting a psalm and saying, when Jesus came into the world, he came into the world with this on his heart, I have come to do your will, O God. So his want was God's will, but at one point in his life, he admitted that he wished the rules could change. He admitted that. I missed this for many, many years, and one day I saw it, and I thought, oh my, you know, he, he, he was truly human. He was truly someone who felt what we felt and felt the, and I'm going to say it because it says this in, in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus struggled and at one point struggled with the whole horror of what was about to take place. In the Greek, it says that. And so he admitted that he wished the rules could change. Here's what he said in Matthew 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I want or will. So he was saying this was a want, right? That's what he's saying. Let this cup pass from me. But I realize that's my want. That's my will. That's what I want, and I want the rules to change, but I realize that that's my want, and so nevertheless, not as I want or I will, but as you will. And thank God. Thank God. He understood. Jesus understood the Old, in the Old Testament the cup was symbolic of God's severe judgment. And Jesus had known all along that cup was, was his to drink. As a matter of fact, when the disciples said, oh, we'll drink it too, and he said, you don't even know what you're saying. And here he admits his wish was to be relieved from this burden. But Jesus understood that God had a purpose for him and that that overrides any other want or desire. Jesus understood that there were musts in his life. Here's an example in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I must, for I was sent for this purpose. What are the musts in your life? If you don't have any, you're living without purpose. Purpose makes your life musty in a good way. (laughs) Musty, and I must do this. I must do this. Last week I talked about the love of Paul. Paul said the love of Christ compels me. It's what drives me. It's what pushes me. I must do this. I must preach the gospel because that the love of Christ compels me to do that. Let's go to our, back to our text for just a moment one more time. The Pharisees were confronted with this man Jesus and they didn't know what to do with him. But here's another question. What would we have done in that same situation with, with Jesus? I mean, For them, he was standing right there in front of the Pharisees, and it would be easy for us to say, and and I've done this myself early in my Christian life, and as I would read stories in the Bible, and I would think, oh, if I had been there, I wouldn't have done that. No, I would have been better than that. Right? We read those stories. It's like the 
armchair quarterbacks with Monday morning, Monday morning, you know, if I'd been the quarterback, I would, you know, if I'd been there, if I'd been that Pharisee, if I'd been this, that person, I wouldn't have built the golden calf with the rest of them. I would have been different, right? We read those stories and we think, well, we, and so the Pharisees, Jesus is standing right there in front of them. They said that the Pharisees rejected the purpose of God for themselves when the purpose of God, the man, Jesus Christ, was standing right there. And so what would we have done? And in my opinion, really the answer to this is revealed by what we're doing right now. Because it's no different for us than it was for them. They were ignoring, rejecting someone who was right there in front of them, but isn't he here right now? Didn't we just sing about his presence being here? Jesus is here right now, just like he was with them. And what do we do about that? And what are we going to do about that? Are we guilty like the Pharisees? Do we reject things that come our way because it doesn't fit with our idea of what we want or what we think we need to be doing or should be doing? Think about this for a moment. Their rejection was not just the purpose of God for themselves, but ultimately, it was a rejection of him. Remember Jesus asking his audience this question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Here's what Jesus is saying. How can you say you have a relationship with me in that capacity? Because that's a relationship. When you call somebody Lord, you're, you're saying there's a relationship there. He's your Lord, you're the servant. How can you say you have a relationship with me? I'm your Lord, and yet you ignore or reject what I say by the way you live your life. And this should tell us one more thing that ultimately our purpose, ultimately our purpose is a person. It is Him. Our purpose is Jesus Christ. Our purpose is that relationship. Whatever else we do is subordinate to knowing Him responding to him, obeying him, and loving him. That relationship should reveal itself in how we live our lives. Remember I said earlier, they didn't know what they wanted and they didn't want what they knew. That has to change in us. What should we want? We should want Christ and nothing else. David said, whom I have I in heaven but thee, and there's no one I desire on earth beside thee. We should want what we know. I'm going to finish with just some scripture here real quick before Paul's salvation. He didn't know what he wanted, nor did he know, want what he knew. Then he encountered Christ. And then later he writes these words about that encounter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He said, for me, or for, to, for to me, to live is Christ. For, me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on, And he says, for whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ in one last passage and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I think actually there's one more. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is all about him. I need to understand because it's all about him and we follow him, then that, then that requires us to continue in him and, and to follow in his paths and to, and to have a purpose in this life. And that's what I want to talk about with you for the next few weeks um, when we get into the kingdom of God and praying that kingdom come, thy will be done, because it requires something of us. That prayer requires something of us, and I want to talk to you about that. But I want to end with just, just with, this, with these thoughts that our ultimate purpose is Jesus Christ, is to follow him with all our heart and what that means.